Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the TMS pod. My name is Mitchell, and I'm here with my co-host, Steven. Hello. We're back for our second episode. Um, if you saw our last episode, we talked about why we were away for so long. And uh, now we're getting into the the podcast grind. So in this episode, we just kind of wanted to talk about some interesting filmmaking news and some filmmaking things that we've seen. Uh, I uh, I feel like it's going to be pretty interesting. Steven said he's got some pretty interesting things that I haven't heard about. And uh, I think we'll just jump yes. right in. So Steven, what is what are these things that you're, uh, you're, you have for me? Yeah, so I got a few topics. First one is, which is going to be a fantastic news if you shoot Nikon, as well as potentially for the future of Sony and Canon and all these other consumer-level cameras. Nikon is now going to court against RED to do internal raw recording in their cameras, which is huge news because, if you don't know, RED is was the first ever digital cinema camera. And what they did is they created a patent on internal raw recording inside a digital camera. So RED is the only one that can have raw recording inside of a camera, like straight, complete, uncompressed raw. Right. There's a whole bunch of technical specs behind the whole thing. Anyways, turns out that now no other camera company can have raw recording inside of their cameras unless they create it completely on their own. So which is why Blackmagic has their own raw recording, B-Raw, um, but it's also super hard for a company to do this. Wait, does, doesn't Canon have raw? They you do, but it's not uncompressed raw. It's sort of raw, but it's kind of, it's not like the, the real cream to crop here is uncompressed raw in a consumer level camera. And right. if you want it though, you also then have to pay Red for a license to, to use it. And so they have a patent on this. Anyways, everyone's saying, hey, this is super anti-consumer, super anti-innovation. Like basically no can, other cameras can have internal raw recording. And so Nikon has said kind of like, fuck it, we're just going to do it anyways. And they have then gone in and now are challenging Red in court to be like, hey, this is completely unacceptable. We want raw on our cameras. And so they've thrown it into a camera with one of their firmware updates, which so it now apparently exists, but now they're being taken to court for it. And so people are speculating right. that this could overturn the patent and this could unlock raw for the rest of the industry, which would be absolutely massive. Oh, that would be so. interesting. I... Wow, I didn't actually know that they had a patent because I because I mean you see cameras all the time that have raw recording like Blackmagic is Blackmagic raw uncompressed then Blackmagic raw is uncompressed raw but they I think completely did it on their own completely separate from Red and so I forget there's a weird workaround where they could have done it or I think it might be compressed raw or there's I know there's some workaround where Blackmagic can do it but it becomes so expensive and so hard for other companies to do it right. Um, and so also get compatibility and all those kinds of issues. So there's like, I know that there's a lot of people complaining about like, hey, Red's just kind of being a dick here um, with their oh. raw recording. Because they, they were the first ever digital cinema camera. So they're like, hey, this is an open ocean, like blue ocean opportunity. We're just going to yoink all these patents. And then, yeah. I oh, wow. Interesting. That's interesting. That's interesting. Isn't the, and I think also like the guy who invented Red or started Red is the founder of Oakley Sunglasses. Yeah, he's another guy. Yeah. So, so he's literally just this money hungry pig who's like, we want everything for ourselves. Much. He's a billionaire who makes sunglasses and cinema cameras. So, oh wow, that's yeah, interesting. Just like, yeah. So, anyways, so from that they now have a firmware, and this people are saying if it's if this gets overturned, and the basically if Nikon wins, then it's going to be a flood of basically raw recording in all these cameras. Because like something you've noticed too is that these cameras, like say Sony A7S III, they're powerful enough to do raw recording. So why don't they, right? 
Right, um, and this is and why. It, this is why. Just basically just because it's a patent issue that they can't do that. Um, B-Raw is great. We've shot Black Magic for years and we've used it. Um, the only problem is that it's not very compatible in a lot of places. So you can't shoot on Premiere or you can't edit in Premiere natively with Black Magic Raw unless you get a plugin, but it's super buggy, which is kind of like, I mean, Black, I mean, that's a great reason for to go to DaVinci Resolve because then it's, you're using Black Magic with Black Magic and it all works out. So, oh, wow. But uh, a bunch of compatibility issues. So, yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. Saw that and I was like, I'm going to keep this and I'm going to tell you about it on the pod. Nice. That's good. That's good. Now, okay, I've got something here, which is a perfect segue from what you were just talking about. So oh, speaking of DaVinci Resolve, uh, I might be a little bit late to the game here. I don't think I am, but I just, I, I don't know about you I'm looking at the viewer here, um, whether you guys watch are avid watchers of Peter McKinnon's videos. Uh, however, I've noticed that he has officially switched to DaVinci Resolve. Yeah, I think you're a little late to the game here. Yes, but I saw this and I was like, this is quite big for the industry because before, uh, this is something that I honestly don't understand why people haven't done sooner is switching to DaVinci Resolve from things like Premiere, um, especially because Adobe is like ridiculous in terms of pricing and DaVinci Resolve is not. But I know that Peter McKinnon has switched over. Sam Calder has switched over for, and has been DaVinci for quite a while now. Um, and it just seems like, like, like the longer we wait, more and more people are switching over to DaVinci Resolve because they're just like finally seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and saying, oh, it's actually better. It's better. It's better and cheaper. Like one of the biggest, <clears throat> one of the biggest mistakes I think we made, because during Out of 52, when we were back making a lot of videos, was, actually, was it during Out of 52? I don't know. We made a video about DaVinci Resolve versus Premiere Pro. Yeah. And those are one of those videos that I'm kind of like, ah, I kind of like, we kind of kicked ourselves for it because sure it was a good video and all, but we kind of said like premiere wins for all these kind of like, if you go back and look at it, it's kind of obscure, stupid reasons. Now that we realize it ever since that video, we have stuck with DaVinci Resolve every now and again for other projects. And we've now grown into, now we use it a hundred percent of the time, full time. We don't use premiere at all anymore. So we're now hundred percent DaVinci Resolve. The only thing though, the only reason why we still have an Adobe subscription is just because of After Effects, which I still really like After yeah, Effects. After Effects is still definitely the the top dog in terms of motion graphics. Yeah. So. Cuz I've tried to do like I've tried to do compositing as well as motion graphics in DaVinci Fusion, but it's super I find it very like what is it? laggy and very buggy in a lot of cases. So I find that After Effects actually is very good, but Premiere I'm yeah, and also DaVinci, like, I mean, uh, after, like, uh, Adobe stuff is all subscription-based, of course, because you're paying 70 bucks a month, pretty much, for Premiere, and we also use Photoshop a lot, um, so for Premiere, Photoshop, and all the Adobe stuff, you're paying, like, 70 bucks a month for it. DaVinci Resolve is a one-time purchase, like, even if you want to purchase it, it's, normally you can get a free version, which is more than capable, uh, but if you want to get a pay, like get the paid version, it's like one payment of $400, which is like what? That's like five or six months of Adobe. Um, yeah. Like, or no, I, I think it's probably like eight, eight or nine months of Adobe, but still if you have it forever. Uh, it's definitely still so much better. And I just, I, I mean, I just saw this, saw that Peter McKinnon was switching. I'm going to be honest. I actually haven't watched the video of him switching. I just saw the thumbnail of it. I was like, oh, he's switching. And I kind of skimmed through it. So I didn't fully no, watch I, the video. Um, but it's... Uh, I saw the video. I mean, it's Kirk who switched, obviously. Well, I mean, yeah, that's his editor. It's for Peter. But yeah, it's just kind of interesting because they've they, he's Kirk's been like, oh yeah, I like it. And it's funny, for as I, for as long as I've used DaVinci, I, I watched that video and I learned a few things in terms of like 
things that I didn't know about DaVinci just because like I obviously get into using DaVinci with my workflow. And then after that, like once you know the tools you kind of need to know, it's like learning yeah. isn't like the top priority. So you're not really looking for new stuff. But I, I noticed a few things that were kind of interesting. Yeah, and I, mean, I, I honestly wouldn't then, be, I wouldn't be surprised if in the next five to seven years, DaVinci, I'm not going to say takes over, but starts taking a significant major, significant portion of Adobe's revenue Oh, just they're probably be- already scared. Oh, no, they're no probably, they're yeah, they, they're probably definitely scared for sure because I also know that DaVinci doesn't crash as much. It has, it honestly has more features in a lot of different aspects and they also, they tend to add features faster than Premiere does and it's very much like, it, like honestly, Premiere is kind of like the Apple where they're like, I'm not even that way, but like Premiere is kind of like the Apple where they're slow with adding features, but when they do, they do work pretty well. Um, and DaVinci is a bit more like Samsung Android where they kind of add them quickly and then kind of like, basically they're kind of known for being kind of on the edge of having features that are good yeah. and noteworthy. I mean, it, well, I mean, to go off of that, a, fine, and a great example is your, uh, is the AI tools that have been added to DaVinci. Absolutely insane. Yeah. Like, like the auto like, captioner one, like I'm like, that's ridiculous. I know that one as well as, I mean, we made a video about AI tools and then we got a comment on the video saying, Hey, a lot of these tools that you mentioned are already in DaVinci. And I was like, really? Like, I mean, for the research, I did like research into like the, the, the tools that we need, like say the auto captionings and the, like there's that one as well as a few other in DaVinci that were pretty Like audio good. enhancer and things like that. And also like you can edit by edit through text, I think is the other one that's added in there. And I was like, but I didn't realize that they had so much of those like and the audio enhancer and, as well. And so I was like kind of blown away at how much they're adding and how fast they're adding it. So... Yeah, I thought it was kind of interesting because they really seem to be on the bleeding edge. As well as, if you notice, in all of Apple's promotional materials, which I think is really funny, in a lot of Apple's promotional materials about MacBook Pro, as well as like a lot of the other kind of tools, they use DaVinci Resolve as like the sample of what to look at. Being like, hey, video editing, video editors, creators, look at, you can edit super fast on the MacBook Pro, and they're showing DaVinci Resolve on the iPad as well as on the MacBook. Yeah. Which I think is weird because they have Final Cut. Apple owns Final Cut. Yeah, that's weird. Right? Yeah. So it's just like, what's like, how does that make any sense? And uh, yeah, so I noticed that. And I just think it's kind of interesting because they obviously, Apple must be like, I mean, it's, they must think that DaVinci is better than their own freaking editing software if they're yeah. just showcasing. Because Apple's not one to reach outside of the ecosystem, but here they are. So I thought that was very interesting. And uh, yeah, so for anybody who actually is getting into editing and anybody that's like, hey, I need a video editor, what should I use? I always just recommend DaVinci Resolve. It's like the best one as well as they have industry leading or an industry standard color grading software. They have a non-linear editor, which is, it's it's great. It's fantastic. It's on, par, it's on par, if not a little bit better than Premiere. So all in all, like every aspect of DaVinci, and they also have the Fairlight page, which is like audio. Every aspect of DaVinci is quickly or already is at industry standard level or higher. So it's like yeah. they're creating like the perfect program. And you don't have to, yeah, you don't have to switch programs to go to DaVinci or you don't have to go like say from Premiere to Audition to yeah. Media Encoder. Like it's all in built into one. Well, I tried to nice. use, I tried to use, cause like DaVinci has a, a basically a media encoder already built in. Like you can queue a whole bunch of stuff and get it to export once in one go. But I think it kind it's kind of interesting because like I tried to use Premiere and tried to export a few single clips and i hate it because it's like oh you now want to do an export queue okay let's boot up a whole other program called media encoder and use that 
Yeah. And like, why can't you just have a freaking queue? Meanwhile, I'm going to crash. Premiere crashes and you're like, well, fuck. <laughs> exactly. So it's like, it kind of just, you just get bent over yeah. a barrel and you're like, why? So anyways, and then your fans start going crazy and then yeah it's just not good yeah so anyways good news for the uh editing world because uh the more people that switch over the better in my opinion because it just gets more widely adopted which is good yes even though we uh, it's like a hipster you're like a hipster you're like yeah i started using it before it was cool before and then everyone starts using it you're like it's so mainstream now so yeah Yeah. anyways next thing next kind of interesting thing that i was uh, talking about or going to talk about is for some context I was uh, just looking through our insurance provider who does insurance for our gear as well as our basically business, business insurance and insurance, which is, yay, very sexy. Um, But they released a newsletter. And then in that newsletter, they're talking about kidnapping insurance. And I was like, what is this? What's kidnapping insurance? Anyways, did a little bit of more research because I was curious. And it turns out that I guess for a film set, you can get kidnapping insurance so if you're on set or on location somewhere and one of your cast or crew members gets kidnapped and held for ransom the insurance will pay for the ransom <laughs> what which i thought which i thought was but how often wild. does that happen for you need insurance for it well i don't know it obviously has happened once and so they talk about so i did a little more research i'm like is kidnapping insurance a thing for film sets and they said yes it is and uh, a, a very famous example is there's this guy in Rome, Italy, named John Paul Getty III, who was an actor on some film set, I don't know what movie it was, but he got abducted while in Rome by the Italian mafia. And uh, like while they were I filming, guess, like while they were filming the movie, he got abducted, or at least when he was on set or in the production of filming this movie, and he got abducted. And then I was like, and it's interesting because then I guess they didn't have insurance, so they had to kind of like figure out a way to pay for this or do with something to get him back. But I was like, interesting, I'm like, John Paul Getty III. Getty. Sounds very familiar, that name. Anyways, did a little bit more research. Turns out, John Paul Getty III is the child of John Paul Getty, who is a American oil tycoon, who ha- is also the founder of Getty Images, the ah. photo and video licensing service. Right. I was like, ah, that makes sense. That sounds very familiar. <laughs> Right. Um, yeah. So, so how much? Wait. Guy, how much ransom did they hold him for? They were holding him for. They said it was twelve million dollars back in 1972, which works out to, I think it's over a hundred million dollars. But his dad was, or his grandpa, I think it was dad or grandpa. I'm not exactly sure how their family tree works out, but their whole family is freaking rich. Yeah. Um. Yeah. They they were asking for 104 million dollars in 2021 dollars. And, uh, but his dad or his grandpa is a billionaire. So it's like they, that's why they knew they could ask for that much and they would probably pay it. I think, I'm not sure whether they ended up paying it or not. I think they did. But that's... from that, they subsequently then agreed, or no, they, 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 it says here, his grandfather agreed to pay no more than $2.2 million. So I think they only paid a portion of it, but I think they still got a good chunk of money from, but from there, ins- uh, kidnapping insurance has now become a thing on film sets because. I guess once it happens once, it can happen again. Honestly, that's kind of genius for insurance companies to do because like, uh, first off, I think that insurance is probably one of the best and smartest business ideas in the entire world because you're literally selling a promise. There's no physical good. There's no, not even a service that needs to be done by a human. 
It's just like, it's like instant service delivery, the easiest service delivery. It's just essentially just money. And, uh, and it's like the best business model because you can just sell it. And also you don't have to fulfill to every single person who buys it. It's only like, oh, if something happens. So this is actually really interesting because it's kind of smart for them to offer this because if they're like, oh, we offer kidnapping insurance. And if let's say a big film set has tons of money, a big budget, they're going to be like, well, yeah, we need the top of the top of everything, including the top insurance. And oh yeah, just, oh, kidnapping insurance. Sure. What the heck? It's an extra whatever. I'm not sure how much it probably costs, but like depending on the size of the production, it pro- like the extra 20 grand for kidnapping insurance. Sure. Yeah. But for, we'll for, add that uh, to the cart. Millions of dollars. It's whatever. It's whatever. Right. And then, but the thing is, is that I would be curious to see how often they actually need, they actually fulfill on this kidnapping insurance to the fact, to the point where they're probably like, like basically all these film sets added on, they just spend the extra 20 grand. They're like, ah, whatever we're covered. If something happens And meanwhile, the insurance companies are just raking it in from this one product. Cause it's like the ultimate upsell. And then yeah. the odds of them actually having to fulfill on that are like minuscule. To the point to the point where they're like, this is essentially just free money, free cash grab, right? We're like, because I I don't know, I don't know how often kidnapping happens on a film set, but I feel like it's pretty slim, way slimmer than say water damage to a camera or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I don't expect myself to be going out and getting kidnapping insurance for my productions because I do not think it's going to happen. So, but that's where they get you, right? They sell it. It could happen to anyone. I have to say, fear. One of the best sales tactics on the planet. And now that it's happened once, insurance is like, oh my God, this is such a great opportunity. Yeah. Wow. We're totally going to just milk this. That's nuts. That's yeah. so funny, actually. That's. I know. Good, I know. good on sure, you, I mean, insurance companies. Way to go. <laughs> I should do a little bit more research into other strange kind of insurance on film sets because I think like you can get some pretty crazy stuff. I know you can get weather insurance, but I'm wondering if there's some other kind of crazy insurance. Um, plans or insurance coverages that you can get because i mean wild things have happened because i know you can get weather insurance i know you can also get like obviously lost data insurance but i know there's stuff like basically there's stuff covering people who transport the data like you can get all kinds of like super minute details yeah um yeah so i just thought that was kind of interesting which that is interesting wow okay well okay i've got something else here which i think is pretty interesting i was uh just uh, surfing around on YouTube the other day, I watched the uh, the flagrant podcast with Casey Neistat, and it was just essentially Casey Neistat being interviewed by who's the main guy on the flagrant podcast? Uh, Schultz. Oh, I forget the guy's name. Um, Schultz. Andrew Schultz. Andrew Schultz. That's him. And uh, anyways, it's interesting because Casey Neistat, as I'm assuming a lot of people who are listening to this probably know, he's very popular for his filmmaking and YouTube videos and blogging. Um, he goes through pretty much his entire life story, and it's. And it's quite interesting the fact that he, like the, all he all the stuff that he's ended up doing in his life even before he became famous on YouTube he had a pretty interesting life. And uh, how long how long is the uh, is the whole thing? I think the whole podcast is like three hours, two and a oh, half, three okay. hours. It's yeah, a, it's, it's a pretty long one. Depth one. Yeah. And uh, anyways, he talks about how he got his first like commercial jobs for Nike. And I listened to this and I was like, wow, this sounds rather familiar uh, because the way he did it is because him and his brother van were really into making videos. So they made a whole bunch of videos and he just decided he was like, you know what? I'm just going to create videos, movies 
for just brands that I want to work with, even though they haven't hired me. So he's essentially doing spec ads for companies. And he's like, I really want to work with Nike. So he said that he had, he made a whole bunch of like a bunch of different like Nike spec ads and just kept making them and posting them and making them and posting them and getting really creative with them and kind of just doing a whole bunch of different things. And to the point where Nike was like, Hey, we saw this fake video you did for us. Here's a bit of a budget, make us an actual video. And that's how he got his first job with Nike. And I'm like, this is exactly, not exactly how we did it. If if that doesn't inspire you right now and you're like, damn, it's that easy. I don't know what will. Cause like there's no other kind of gold. Like I would say spec ads in the filmmaking world, one of the most powerful things you can do. Yeah. Right. Like it's so powerful just making spec work for something to get yourself out there and kind of, especially learn skills and all that kinds of stuff. That like, if this story doesn't motivate you to be like, yeah, you know what? Maybe I should make a spec ad or two. I don't know what will. Because yeah, like, because so he, like he did it. Casey Neistat did it and got to work with Nike. We kind of kind of have done the same thing where we like, we had our spec ad series on YouTube. Um, and then like, we also, we didn't necessarily make a spec ad, but we've made videos that we've posted on YouTube that we got contacted by Nike to then make another video because they saw no, a video that we liked. I'm guessing also, so because Nike or obviously Casey didn't have a huge YouTube channel at the time. So I'm guessing what he did is probably make these ads. Where do you think he would dis- or showcase them? I feel like this was probably, I don't know what year this was. I do know that this was after, after YouTube was released. So I wouldn't be surprised if he posted them on YouTube. I'm not sure how he got them in front of Nike. No, no. Do you know, do you think that it would be effective if you were to say post it on YouTube, but then maybe send a link to Nike or anybody's Nike email that you could possibly come up with? If like, you can find it, then sure. Go right ahead. Cause I'm just thinking like, I'm just thinking like that could, I mean, it wouldn't hurt. I'm sure. I just thought it would be kind of interesting to kind of like, I yeah, know, I, I feel like now, especially like, I feel like in this day and age, the way you're going to do it is by creating say spec work for Nike, for whoever, but yep. It's all, it's going to be all about the consistency. So you can't expect to make one video for Nike and then post it to YouTube and then expect Nike to come knocking because they're not. Um, yep. But I also expect that if you went to TikTok now and use the organic reach of TikTok to help you, you would have some some success, especially maybe like you make a spec ad for Nike, but it's not un, out of the realm of possibility for somebody like New Balance or Adidas to come to you and say, hey, we saw this thing you made for Nike. Can you do the thing for us? Um, yeah, but well, uh, that's, that's where thing. I would go now is TikTok or you or or and do yeah. it that way. If you want to get into like doing commercial work and stuff and like getting into that world, I would say a great thing for you to do would be to basically take your work or basically take your filmmaking skills, make a whole bunch of spec ads, and then post them, especially to TikTok, because um, we know that our spec ad videos when we made them, we posted cut down versions to TikTok. They did great. They did amazing. Um, in terms of also like in growth and reach and all that kind of stuff. But there's been a lot of cases where I've seen people say, Oh, I'm going to make a commercial for this, or I'm going to make a commercial for that. And they do. And then there's this one girl on TikTok that I saw who has gained millions of followers from doing this. She just does commercials about whatever. Yeah. And then she did one about a popcorn kernel about a thing of, I think a, a cube of ice or something like just stuff like that. Anyways, she ended up getting a job with tide or some, one of these like Procter and Gamble or something like that. Like, one of these big brands uh, to make a commercial for them. And then she released it on TikTok. And I was like, that's so smart, such a good series. And you don't have to be famous on social media to do it. You don't even need crazy good gear. A lot of these people are doing it with like, I don't know, 
Sony a6300, that kind of stuff. So it doesn't have to be crazy. Yeah. It's like easier than you think. So yeah, no, I think it's kind of interesting. I, uh, I, I remember seeing, I mean, I mean, I saw the same podcast, but then, uh, I was just thinking like <laughs> the main thing too, as well is when you're doing spec ads, don't just make one because one isn't going to do anything for you. If you release one video, they're not going to be flooding to you. You need to make multiple to show that you're not one, a one trick pony, but two, you can also like reliably showcase that you can do this with multiple ideas. And you are also a reliable person to be like, Hey, let's spend some money on this and see what happens. Yeah, so, no, exactly. No, that's a very interesting, very interesting idea. Yeah, I just saw that and I was like, oh, interesting. That's how yeah. we kind of have done it. And I'm sure it's not, it's not patched yet. Like it's not like it's, the world. <laughs> no, no one's gotten it and updated it yet. <laughs> no, exactly. It's not like, it's not, it's not like it stops working all of a sudden. So yeah, well, yeah. that's funny. The, um, I mean, do we want to talk about our run or like more detail into our Nike thing. Or I think we'll save that to a whole, I think that's a whole podcast in itself. Yeah. Okay. So. I mean, I was going to say something. I mean, this will be a bit of a teaser for when we eventually release that, which will be soon. Um, but I remember when we were working with Tom Sachs on this Nike commercial, um, he called me and Mitchell, like the new generation, Casey and van, which is absolutely insane. And, because basically we went into the studio, into Tom's studio and we worked with him. And he, if you don't know some background, he was the guy who mentored Casey Neistat and Van Neistat to basically make videos and kind of turn them into the artists they are today. And was basically a big mentor for them and basically showed them the ropes of what to do in terms of making art. And uh, we entered the studio or Casey and Casey and Van were both brothers. I mean, they weren't twins obviously, but they were both brothers. They went into the studio together kind of like, doing their thing, making videos as brothers. And uh, yeah, and then we went to the studio and it wasn't long after that. He's like, basically he called us the case, the the younger version, the new generation of Casey and Van, yeah, the Gen that... Z Casey and Van, which is for someone like me who has grown up watching Casey Neistat and like all his vlogs, everything being obsessed, even made the Casey Neistat sunglasses. That is like such a massive, like, I don't know. It makes you feel absolutely insane inside because you're like, this can't be real. Yeah. And you get to meet the guy who created Casey and Van into their visual style. And it's, it's also kind of interesting because walking around that studio, you realize how much of Casey's own style came from Tom Sachs. Yeah. Um, because like you notice like on all the labels, everything's written in capital letters except for the J's and the I's. Like their handwriting looks the same. The same way you do like everything the rough like look of everything um yeah, yeah no it, it's, it's wild it's yeah it is wild um anyways we want to do a whole podcast on that whole entire thing because i mean that could be like a two three episode podcast series yeah um because there's so much meat in there but uh that's just a little teaser so once we release that you have something to look forward to you'll yeah so exactly that, so anyways you, uh, do you have something else i feel like you have you got some more for me i uh i do this is, oh, something I didn't really quite research, but I'm going to be speaking off the top of my head here. Okay. But I saw this TikTok, which I thought was very interesting. And there's this film studio named Leica, I think it is, L-I-L-E-I-K-I-A or something. It's a movie studio that does, they do with a, like a bunch of animated movies like uh, Coraline and 
uh, whatever it is, work, or there's a bunch of other ones. Like they do a lot of like these animated claymation movies. Right. Anyways, someone made it. Someone made a TikTok, and I saw I, I saw this TikTok, which I thought was very interesting. They were saying these movies don't make them don't make any money, but they said that's not an issue at all for them. What really? Because it well no, it's not an issue at all because they make these for the art, and the guy who founded Leica Studios is one second. Let me find his name. It is. I forget what. Oh yeah, Phil Knight, right? Chairman okay. of Nike of Leica Studios. Do you know who also? Oh, and Travis Knight. Oh no, yeah, Phil Knight and Travis. Travis Knight is the founder. Phil Knight is a chairman. Phil Knight is the one of the founders of Nike. What really? Yeah. So the whole reason that this film studio can technically never go out of business. <clears throat> is because Phil Knight is footing the entire bill for this production company. So Nike technically owns a video production company or an animation studio that has nothing to do with shoes. Oh, that's so interesting. I never I knew know. that. I know. So it's basically like daddy's money footing the bill for these wildly expensive movies that make no money at all. But everyone's like, yeah, they're never going out of business because the entire budget is foot basically is is financed by nike so now is their goal to why are they making these if it's if it's not making any money i i think it's more for just the art because they're they're very well done movies and like Coraline, like the animated one there's a few other ones i'm not super in-depth into what movies they make but i saw this and i was like this is kind of nuts well I, i'm just looking, i'm looking at their website now they have it says that they do a movie called they did them so these are a couple of the movies that they've done so they've done they did kubo and the two strings which i've heard about yep they did a movie called Missing Link. They did another yeah. movie called The Box Trolls. Then they did Paranorman, which I've heard about. Yeah. Oh, I've heard of that one. Yeah, I've heard of that one. And then Coraline. And those are like the, the four or five that they list on their website as like their feature films. Yeah. So, I mean, it makes, I mean, Phil Knight is the 24th richest person in the world with an estimated net worth of $47 billion. Oh, right. Um, anyway, so his son created a video production studio or an animation studio which is uh basically financed by nike and now they make these super artsy animation movies oh wow um but yeah it's kind of interesting because like i mean this actually is like there must be a theme here because steve jobs went to pixar right right and so it must be kind of like a theme here where these big business magnates kind of gravitate towards animation studios magnates like yeah business magnates i've never heard, heard that, that word ever really it just like that's what it said here at the uh, wikipedia article okay oh now once you read it on wikipedia you now have yeah, it locked a, and loaded he's an american billionaire business magnate are, are you sure it's not just so, a magnet no magnate in, in tycoon industrialist it's kind okay. of a, a sure, business fair mag- enough <laughs> sorry go on go on n-a-t-e magnate okay so that sorry go on anyways some people I'm sure out there have heard the word magnate, so I'm not totally out to lunch here. <clears throat> Anyways, so, but it's kind of interesting that I've noticed that there's like Steve Jobs, same sort of thing where he's like, I think, because Pixar was then sold to Disney, but he founded like an animation studio. And I think that there's a few, there's a th- there seems to be a theme here where it's like a lot of these big businesses need a place to start spending their money. And they're like, hey, art. Oh, you know what's a really, really, really expensive form of art? Animation. Oh, we can make right. some cool animations and no one. And there's also not a lot of competition because no one's stupid enough to try to 
bootstrap a animation studio because they're so wildly expensive and there's so much risk in every project that you need. I would say, I mean, this is just me talking off the top of my head, but I would say you need another source of income to kind of keep it going until you build a good enough reputation to make it profitable. Yeah. I actually, I, I read the book, I think it's called creativity Inc, which is like the creation of Pixar, uh, and talks all about that. And yeah, they talked about how I'm pretty sure they were like, yeah, like if Steve jobs didn't come in and give us a whole bunch of like funding and stuff, we would have been in the water. Um, Cause well, wasn't Steve jobs like super, super rich at the time still. And so he's like, Hey, I'm going to spend all this money on the, on yeah, I think that's pretty, I think that's pretty much how it works. Like he, or at least he was like, he kind of like, yeah, was like, Oh, I want to, I'm going to be a part owner of Pixar. I'm going to fund the movies. And they were like, yeah, just, we just need to get this one movie out. And then boom, they release toy story. Um, which was yeah. like one of the first animated movies ever. And then, uh, that's kind of, and then the rest is history now because they, uh, have been purchased by Disney and now make a shitload of money. But yeah, that's, that's interesting. I never even knew that that was, I didn't either. I had no idea that was even a thing. And then, uh, yeah, I just noticed that it was like basically on the, they said that the chairman or the founder, like a studios is, uh, whatever is it? Tim Knight, I think is the guy's name. So, and it's conveniently their headquarters is in Oregon, which Nike is also in Oregon. And, uh, yeah. So I just thought that was a very interesting tidbit. Yeah. But, that's uh, interesting. yeah. That's so, interesting. Another little thing that I saw here, which is something that could be interesting to talk about is the, the release of the DJI Mavic three classic, or I guess, no, it's not the classic. It's the DJI Mavic three. The new one got released on the 25th of April. Um, and it has a built-in telephoto lens and like, is that the, it does have three lenses in it. Yeah. This is the one with three lenses, which is right. Like, I mean, DJI is getting to the point where they're like, how many lenses can we stick on a drone? Um, so yeah, cause true. they have a, let me just look. Yeah. Three lenses on it. One of them I think is one of them is a telephoto. One of them is just a normal lens. And I think one of them is a wide as well. Um, right. And, uh, yeah. So do we want to talk more about that or no? Well, I haven't, I don't really know anything about it. Do you know anything about it? I just know that it's been released. I know that some people, some YouTubers and stuff are, are uh, like reviewing it. Um, I do think it's getting to a point where like, when do we reach peak drone and like how many, like it is getting to a point where we like, how good can these I think get? We still have a while because I mean, the, the biggest thing is the technology getting the camera smaller and smaller so you can get better cameras. Cause there isn't, I mean, there's 4k, you're not shooting raw on a drone yet. So I would say that there's still room for something like that. Yeah. Um, and so like, I mean, I think we're definitely reaching peak camera. Yeah. Actually, wait, sorry. I, I was wrong here. We have a, like the, the three lenses are like the main 24 millimeter focal length. It's got a 70 millimeter focal length lens and then a 166 millimeter focal length lens, which uh, is pretty nuts because I know that with a drone, if you have te- like that's having telephoto on a drone is how you get some pretty cinematic looking shots because you can get that parallax, especially if people like are like on a mountain ridge and things like that. Um, so honestly, DJI, if you're listening, I'd love to try this drone out. Um, oh yeah. I mean, well, we're getting the, uh, on loan, we don't actually own it, but hopefully soon we'll be getting the, uh, DJI Inspire three. So that'll be a very interesting, fun thing to try out. Yeah. But I really, what I really wanted, which we couldn't get would be like a telephoto lens on that. Cause you can get some crazy, like, like basically Michael Bay style parallax type shots. Um, but I think we're just getting the standard lens on it, but that's something you can do. And then once you kind of get a drone like that, where you can put any lens on it, you can get some really tight shots and then you can get some crazy shot, like some crazy stuff, especially if someone's standing on like a mountaintop, 
There's yeah. a person there and then just like whips around at full speed. Yeah, it would be sick. So yeah, I, uh, I honestly can't wait till they have like the Mavic mini that can do like 4k and like all these crazy I, different yeah. things. I mean, does it, I thought the Mavic mini shoots 4k already. I think it does, I mean, but it's like, like the thing that you're going to be getting though is like the bit rate and like the, 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 uh, the bit depth of the actual footage yeah. and things like that. So. I mean, it's funny for us. We've like, <laughs> we've kind of reached almost peak drone for ourselves because we haven't b- really bought a new drone. Like the newest drone we have is the Mavic pro two Mavic two pro. Yeah. Um, and we, we really haven't bought a drone since then, but it shoots 10 bit 4k. Like it does everything you need to do. And so it's a great, awesome drone. And then we've tried out the Mavic mini, um, a few times. And I have to say, the Mavic Mini is so nice. Yeah. For like, it's so small. It flies forever. The video is absolutely insane. Yeah. For what it is. And I'm just like, man, honestly, I don't know if I might just get the Mavic Mini and that might just be it because I don't want to deal with it. Especially big if drone. you're like mainly you, like if, if you're doing client work, I would say it's different. Like if you're doing True. stuff, yeah. but if you're doing YouTube or even if your client work is mainly Instagram oriented and social media oriented, you could get oh. away with the Mavic Mini for sure. And you can also fly it in so many different places. You can fly it downtown in cities and stuff like that, which is pretty crazy. So, yeah. Yeah, I uh, yeah. DJ, if you're listening, I'd love to give it a go. But uh, who knows if they're... The Mavic they're Mini? Wait, not. which what do you want to give a go? No, the uh, Mavic... Sorry, the Mavic 3 Pro. Um, oh, yeah. But... We'll just... Uh, yeah, we'll DM them and be like, hey, we want a drone. Yeah, but then they're already giving us a, a big one. So we'll just have to... Yeah. yeah. So anyways, that's Whatever. the pod. I hope you guys all enjoyed. Uh... And we'll see you guys in the next episode. Okay, bye.